with me this morning. Help me to uh, help me to be faithful to the text. Help me to be um, um, just sensitive to the spirits moving as I as I share the word. And I pray that um, you would touch the hearts of the folks who are here. That they would hear from you. That I wouldn't get in the way. That that it would just be your spirit moving. Um, in Jesus' name, Amen. So uh, my wife and I were in Yellowstone uh, last week. And uh, have any of y'all been to Yellowstone? It's a big national park, <laughs> really big. It's, it could almost be the size of, of a state on its own, actually. Um, sorry, I had to finish my coffee. Um, the, the cool thing about Yellowstone is that it is a place that is beautiful and it is extraordinarily uh, dangerous. I mean, it's true, right? There are all of these things that are there that are so amazing, but if you get too close to them, they could, you know, horribly burn you or kill you, right? I mean, it's, it's nowhere else in, in the world that I've been in can you stand next to a lake of acid, right? Um, and I'll tell you, every time we go camping or traveling, I always like to look for animals. I've got a list of animals that I have not seen or have seen in the wild that I would really like to. I've yet to see a moose, um, but apparently they wander through Big Sandy whenever I'm in the bathroom. I, that's, I mean, they're everywhere. I, oh, well, we saw 40 of them wandering through Virgil last week, and no, nothing. Um, and I did not see a moose this time. I did, however, see an animal that I have never seen in the wild, thank God. We saw a grizzly bear. Um, you guys know what a grizzly is, right? It is a really, really big bear, right? But this is not a really big grizzly. This is a really little grizzly which are surprisingly more dangerous than big grizzlies. Anybody know why? Because mama. <laughs> mama grizzly is far more dangerous. And if you want an analogy of that, mess with my kids and see how my wife reacts. Got it? <laughs> so this, this grizzly, we're driving along through the park, and like most of the park is two-lane roads, right? We're driving along through the park, and suddenly we hit traffic, and we stopped completely, and... I, I'm like thinking, well, what on earth is going on that we're stopped? And I looked down the way, and there were people out of their cars, having left their cars in the middle of the road, and they were walking along the side of the road, and there was a, a grizzly bear. But it was okay because it was a baby grizzly. And these folks were walking along, taking photos, and clearly agitating this baby grizzly bear that was about, I don't know, 30, 40 yards down the hill. And um, they followed the grizzly along down the highway and took pictures of it. And my wife immediately rolled the windows up. Um, because what happens if you upset a baby grizzly enough? Mama grizzly comes along, right? Oh, but it's 40 yards away. That's perfectly safe, right? No, because grizzlies can run much faster than we can. Um, this was an extraordinarily stupid thing to do. Does that sound right? It was, it was really dumb. Um, it was not the only dumb thing we saw people do, right? We saw people um, standing next to bison getting their picture taken, which, I mean, they look very peaceful, but a bison weighs about what your car does. And there's, like, a statistic. We were, I was talking to a park ranger. There was a statistic for how many people are, are gored by bison every year in the park, right? I mean, lots and lots of people, along with some uh, elk, right? There were, we saw a big male elk with a giant rack of horns in the, in the trees, and there were people standing around it. And, and you know, those, those are decoration. They can't possibly kill you. 
Um, but, but over and over and over again, we saw people doing things that just didn't make sense because they were assuming these wild animals were perfectly safe, right? Um, I, I, I'll tell you the other thing I saw that, that sort of contrasted it. My wife, I'm going to, I love you. My wife took a picture of us, the kids and I standing over, um, the dragon's mouth, which is like this pool that like pours boiling water out of a cave. And, and she dropped her phone in this boiling water. And I went and found a park ranger, and I watched this park ranger go down there. And I thought, well, she just walk down and get it. But this park ranger held on to the, held on to the, the bridge, and she only stepped on logs that were down, and she got a big stick and used it to balance. And I said to her, I'm like, hey, why, why are you doing that? And she's like, well, because anywhere I step out here, I could fall through and be horribly burned. And when she finally got there, she she fished around in the hot water with her stick and tried to move it over. And then she she finally reached a point where she's like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get this out. The water's too hot. This is too dangerous. I'm I'm going to stop. And like even though it's her job, and she assume I assume she had a great deal of training, she treated it with a great deal of respect and fear, and she was very careful. As we dive into Judges, Judges is the book of the tourist in Yellowstone. Right. These are folks like it is the time period between when Egypt, when the Jews have left Egypt, they wander around the desert and then they reach the promised land. They conquer it. And there's about 500 years when Judges takes place that they're living in the promised land. Right. And they are basically abandoning their faith and rebelling against God and becoming more and more like the Canaanites, the pagans um, and, and just sort of abandoning God. Right. God is loving God is amazing. God is also powerful, right? Um, I love C.S. Lewis. There's a line from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have you guys read that? Um, where the, the children are talking about the lion, Aslan, and they say, well, you know, is he safe? And one of the animals says, no, of course not. Lions aren't safe. But he's good, Right? Um, the God that we serve is is not safe, but he's good. And and it's important that we understand that because it's so easy not to take it seriously. And the reason I start with this as we dive into this story, this is the third guy in the book that we're going to look at. He is not a judge. Um, the pattern of the book is um, that we start off with the best guys, and they progressively just get crummier and crummier, right? And the judges just get worse and worse, with the exception of Deborah, who's right in the middle and is actually probably the, one of the best judges in the book. But she's like down, 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 up, down, 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 down. And we'll get to why Deborah's an exception when we get to Deborah in a few weeks, um, months, maybe next summer. Um, but like the point is, the point of the book is that the people on their own just rebelled against God and rebelled against God and rebelled against God and that individual leaders were unable to help them because the leaders were as corrupt as they were. And there's this progression of downward Trip. And like last week, we talked about like this very funny story two weeks ago. So I this funny story about, um, I'm going to forget his name. Othniel was two weeks or three weeks ago. Othniel was the awesome one. And then we have the um, Ehud. Thank you. Ehud, who assassinates a foreign king in the bathroom. Um, and then, you know, like he accomplished his job, but he did it dishonestly. This week, we're going to talk about a guy who was not a judge, but a deliverer. What's the difference? The judges would deliver the nation, and then they would hang out and run things, right? The guy we're talking about this week, not a judge. He just delivers, 
right? He delivers, saves the people from an enemy. Um, and this is a continuation of sort of the funny story because the previous story was very funny. There was, you know, like poop jokes and there was fat jokes and there was all kinds of other stuff that happened. Like it was a really off-color story. Um, and, and this week is kind of a continuation, but you've got to read it right to understand it. Um, the other thing is this isn't in chronological order. Here's an oddball thing. Ancient world, they didn't write things as we understand them, right? Like they had a very different way of looking at the world. This is not chronological. Um, we do know that this guy comes after Ehud because the text says so. Um, but it's not unusual for ancient writers to rearrange history in a book like this to make a point. And the point is that the people got worse and worse and worse as they went. Got it? Um, so Moab, this is the one verse I'm preaching, or this is last week, this is where we ended. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So this is the end of Ehud. Moab, the inbred cousins of the, of the Jewish people, they were beaten, um, and the land had rest. Now, after him was Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. That's our verse. That's it, right there. This is the one I'm preaching on. It's uh, three sentences, I think, in Hebrew, maybe four sentences. Um, and there's a little bit here, and we're going to kind of dig into this. Um, after him, so Ehud, then comes Shamgar, and we can tell from history, like from the rest of the book, that he was relatively early because he's mentioned in the Song of Deborah, which is in chapter 5, um, where Deborah kind of brings him up, and she says, well, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, um, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept, kept to the byways. So we know that, she's er, that Shamgar's early in the nation's history. He's like sort of a contemporary of um, Deborah. So he's in the north part of the nation. We're going to go back to our verse here. And we're going to talk about who this guy is. Shamgar is not a Jewish name, right? There are people in this room like Michael. Michael, what's your last name? Jaeger-Laner. You hear that name and you know Michael is of German stock, right? He probably attended a Lutheran church at some point, and we won't hold it against him. Um, <laughs> but we know because Jaeger-Laner is just a German name, just like O'Neill is a Irish name, right? And I'm assuming Ross has some Irish in his blood, right? A little bit. <laughs> Um, I'm a Sitama. If you That is a weird name, but if you go and you stand around Dutch people, you will find other Sitamas. I went to a college that was largely Dutch Reformed people, and there was an Eric Sitama who lived on the hall with me. What are the odds? There was an Eric Sitama, an American ninja warrior or whatever. It was not me. Just a cheap facsimile. Um, but that is a Dutch name, and there are people who will hear my last name and say, oh, you're Dutch. And even like if they really know what they're talking about, they'll say, Oh, you're Frisian, which is sort of North Holland, I think, or South. I don't know. Um, so Shamgar is not a Jewish name, right? It is, however, found in ancient literature. This verse doesn't give us a lot to go on. And so it's one of those ones where you've got to kind of look at other ancient history, and you've got to sort of make guesses based on what we know. Shamgar turns up in the Newsy text, N-U-Z-I, not the crappy movie. Um, Terrible movie. I'm sorry. Anyway, sorry I didn't mean to offend you. Um, the, the, the name itself is associated with the Hurrians, um, which eventually became the Hittites. So this guy is not a Jew. He's a Hittite, right? Um, and, and so he's a foreigner who saves the nation. Why is this a big deal? 
Because the point of this story is the Jewish people had become crummy enough that they could not take care of themselves, and so God sent a pagan to take care of them. Right? They were delivered by a pagan. Um, these are people who are not taking God seriously, right? He's a grizzly bear on the side of the road, and they're going to take pictures with him, but then they're going to assume that everything's okay. Like, and they're not taking God seriously, and so God makes a point by sending a Hittite to rescue them. It's also possible he was a Canaanite, which would be a huge, huge insult to the people because they were becoming the Canaanites. They were, like, degrading into the Canaanites. It was sort of the point of the book again. Um, but Shamgar, the son of Anath. Now, it's traditionally translated as son of Anath, but that's probably not what it means. It could mean that he's son of a man named Anath, but recent discoveries have like told us some things about the phrase Ben-Anath, right? Ben-Anath was actually a title that was associated with um, Egyptian mercenaries, Right, So like there was this whole group of Egyptian mercenaries that went under the name like Bin Anath. And like there's this assumption that maybe this guy was a hired hand who had left Egypt and was hanging out in the promised land. Um, or to make it even worse, Anath, like, and this is what it means in the Egyptian, um, in the Egyptian uh, uh, army unit, Anath was a goddess of war associated with the Canaanites. And her worship was adopted by the Egyptians eventually, and they sort of added her to their religion because they're like, that Anath is pretty cool. And so, like, Anath was sometimes associated with Baal. Like, he was a consort, to put it gently. Um, she was a consort of Baal, to put it gently. She, but, like, soldiers would worship Anath because she would support them in war. Right, And so this Ben-Anath actually probably means that he was a worshiper of Anath and maybe an archer, actually. There have been arrowheads discovered with the guild of archers from um, Egypt with Ben-Anath printed on them. And so like, there's a good chance this guy was a pagan. He wasn't even a Jew. Right? Like, he wasn't even like a member of the nation. So God delivered them with like, someone who was a foreigner and a worshiper of another god. Which is why, by the way, most scholars will assume, like, that's why there's so little information here, because who's going to, like, trump up the fact that the enemy saved you, right? Um, why would you do that? Um, an enemy mercenary, no less. He killed 600 Philistines. Basically, he killed a, a regiment of soldiers by himself, because soldiers were partitioned out in regiments of 600. The Philistines, this is kind of a weird thing, the Philistines were not natives to the promised land they had come from like crete they had marched through the promised land and tried to conquer egypt they got their hat handed to them they got beat really bad so they came back and settled in the promised land and started making life hell for everyone else or making life miserable for everyone else i apologize um and so like these professional soldiers they were mercenaries the philistines get conquered by one mercenary with an ox goat anybody know what an ox goat is it's a big stick with a metal end that you use to train ox go, uh, oxen. There's a joke here, right? Because it is a pointer stick, and the word used for it in Hebrew basically means like a teaching implement. So he taught the Philistines a lesson <laughs> the way that sometimes I teach my kids a lesson with a big stick. Um, I don't hit, anyway, not with sticks. Um, 
but I'm sure some of you all get that, right? Wooden spoon growing up. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so Shamgar kills 600 Philistines. We don't know what's going on. Like, there's almost no information. Um, the assumption is that these Philistines had invaded this part of Israel. He went out with his farm implement and beat them and sent them home. Like, he beat them thoroughly and sent them home. He saved Israel. Um, by the way, the word saved means savior, right? Like, it's, it's the Hebrew word for savior. It's like he was the savior of Israel. He was not a Jewish person. He was not a worshiper of Yahweh, right? He was a professional soldier for the worst enemy in the world, the Egyptians. The Jews hated the Egyptians, really, really hated the Egyptians. But God used this guy because there was no one else to do it. There was no one else. The nation had reached this point where it declined to the point where no one else was worthy of delivering. And so God says, well, we're going to stick it in your eye. Let's get a pagan to do it. And you're going to be saved, but we're going to be saving you pretty much in the worst way possible. Everybody with me? Is it hot in here today? Okay. I thought so. Um, that's my fault. Uh, sorry, that's the... So we're going to jump to Matthew, and there's this great line in Matthew, Matthew 3, 7 to 9. Um, this is John the Baptist is baptizing, and he's teaching. He's got a huge crowd of people around him. And... Um, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees had come to his baptism... so. John the Baptist is baptizing. Pharisees and Sadducees, who were sort of the religious people of the day, um, they were like the religious elite of the day. And they came and they watched John baptizing. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to make these stones to rise up as children of Abraham. Um, why am I including this? Well, this is several thousand years apart, but what's the point? The religious people of John the Baptist Day and the contemporaries of Jesus, Jesus' biggest enemies, assumed that they were in because they followed the rules perfectly and because they were children of Abraham. And John's response was, hey, listen, listen, you are not perfect. You need to repent. You need to turn away from the way you've been living. You need to show God that you love him, that you love your neighbor. You need to be humble, not be so arrogant in your, like, um, assumption that you are perfect in your religious observance. Because, like, I'm going to tell you, even rocks could be sons of Abraham. God can do what he wants. Flashback to our story, right? Shamgar. You can almost hear God saying, hey, I can deliver you with anyone. I can do my job with anyone. I can turn rocks into sons of Abraham. I don't need you people. I'm going to deliver you with a pagan, with, with a worshiper of a pagan god, no less. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, because what the, these folks were doing at the time, like when Jesus was around, these Pharisees and Sadducees, what the Jewish people in the Promised Land were doing was they were baiting the bear, assuming the bear was never going to bite. Everybody with me? They were standing next to the bison and saying, well, this is a harmless little cuddly creature. We're all fine. And that's terrible. But it's not that far off from what a lot of the church does today, right? Um, God sent his son to die for us. That was no small thing. We are saved not because we're perfect, but because Jesus died for us, right? 
We are saved because we are disciples and followers of Jesus. It is so easy to fall. And I've done this in my walk with God on more than one occasion, so I'm going to own it up front, right? Um, It's so easy to fall into this mindset of, well, Jesus loves me. I can do whatever I want, right? Jesus loves me. I can live however I want. Jesus loves me. Um, I'm saved, so, like, that's covered. I'll do as I please. Um, And to move away from this assumption that God is to be taken seriously, and what ends up happening then is God will respond repeatedly. In the Old Testament, we see where God responds repeatedly where, like, I can do what I want with what I want. Um, We see where um, when I lived in uh, Indiana, um, I, I lived in, an, in a community that was very conservative and very um, spiritually dry. There were a lot of Amish folks and Mennonites and stuff like that. We had a mission in our community of Nigerian. Was he Nigerian? Samuel. I, I, yeah, I think he was Nigerian. No, what was he? I don't know. My, I had a good friend who was an, a missionary from Africa to Indiana to try and convert the folks in Indiana to Christianity, right? Because the, the, the church has reached this point, this crazy point in history where we've sort of fallen asleep and we sort of drift. We don't disciple. We don't grow. We don't you know, preach the gospel. We don't love God the way we're supposed to. We sort of bear bait. Um, I'm not saying y'all, actually. This is my wife and I were discussing last night how awesome of a church this is and how great a group of folks like we get to serve. But like the American church is in this place, and maybe this is hitting you personally, I don't know, but like I'm not talking about y'all. Um, I'm saying Christianity as a whole in the United States, we reach this point where, well, the poor can fend for themselves, right? Well, holiness is something I'm supposed to do, but like I'm not looking for Cadillac Christianity. I'm pretty good with Pinto Christianity. Um, Like, I don't need to grow spiritually. I don't need to follow Jesus. I don't need to obey. I don't need to be holy. I don't need to do these things. Um, Someone else will do it for me. And, like, even now, we see where the church has become sort of enslaved to to the world practices. Um, This is sort of an odd sermon for me. I apologize. I'm I'm not sure. This is what I was praying about. This is what I came up with. Um, A lot of major churches, they preach self-help, Right? I, I, he's my whipping boy, like my target, but like Joel Osteen, I don't like him, right? Joel Osteen will tell you how to have, like, feel good and everything else. He never talks about Jesus dying for our sins. Like, he never talks about being saved. He talks about, like, sort of the soft side of Christianity. Isn't that bare cuddly, right? In reality, God saves us because he is passionately in love with us. He is passionately desirous of, like, having a relationship with us. He is passionately, like, like pursuing us. Um, actually, the way a mama bear chases after her cubs, right? And actually, in the end, if you look at the story of Shamgar, we see where God is passionately defending his people. But he's doing it in a backhanded way that shows his people, hey, you're screwing up, folks. Wake up. Um, 21st century church is in this boat. We're in this boat where we expect politicians to save us, where we expect someone else to do the work for us, where we expect we'll be okay. We can just sort of coast and it'll be all right. This is not, this is not the way God has for us. 
Um, he accomplishes great things with very little. And actually, like I have this great verse from First uh, Corinthians. Paul is talking. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. He's writing to the Corinthians. He says, not many of you were uh, wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to... To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is at, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what Paul is saying there, and this is kind of where I'm closing, this is where I'm going with this. Um, God's calling to us, God's direction to us isn't to rest on our own awesome, awesomeness, right? It's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to like, like rest on our laurels. Um, but what he's saying is, listen, a lot of the folks that God chooses are not the best. They're not the brightest. I'm not talking about you all. You all are the best and the brightest I know. Um, but I'll tell you all, like, like I, I, I don't know, I stand up and preach every week. I got a natural pension for saying the wrong thing. I know it's shocking. I am an open mouth insert foot guy, Right? I, I hate saying hard truths because I, they make me nervous, and I tend to shy away from them, right? Um, but God uses me anyway. Um, I'm, I'm one of the foolish things there in the world, right? Um, God calls us to be lowly so that he can use us for great things for Christ. God calls us to be faithful so that he can accomplish his tasks in the world. Um, my challenge to you this week and this is kind of a scattered sermon, I know. My challenge to you this week is to look at your heart, look at your life, and ask yourself, um, am I resting and letting the world do the job for me? Am I hoping someone else will follow Jesus for me? Am I hoping that the bear is a teddy bear and not a grizzly bear when I deal with God? Um, because there's, it's no, no small thing to follow God. It's really not. We put it in a, in a box and say, well, this is a part of my life, but that's the part that has nothing to do with this part. But in reality, God calls us to big things. He calls us to, to stand in big and difficult places, and he does it to bring glory to himself. And if we don't do it, he'll have someone else do it. Um, as Jesus was walking into, into being crucified, right, he's heading into Jerusalem, his disciples and the people are praising him and calling him, you know, like praising God and praising Jesus and the Pharisee said, hey, stop these people from doing this. And Jesus says, hey, if they don't do it, you guys know the end of it? The stones will cry out. If they don't worship me, the very ground will start singing my praises. You can't stop this. And the question is, like, are we people, are we people that glorify God, that worship God, that show Jesus to the folks around us? Or are we expecting the stones to do it for us? Um. Look at your heart, look at your soul, look at inside you and say, what am I doing? Um, the cool thing about the God that we worship is he is the God that gives us second chances. He is the God that it's a brand new start every morning that we follow Jesus. Um, the day I began to follow Jesus, I was forgiven for everything I had done, everything I was doing, and everything I ever would do. Because that's how grace works. And my call as a follower and your call as a follower 
is to be worthy of that by obedience, by faithfulness, by taking the bear seriously, right? He can be cuddly, but he can be vicious. Um, Worship God as a God to be feared and loved. Um, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'll I'll let you all be today. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that um, you would help us to be people who take you seriously. Um, I know that you didn't sacrifice your son for us because you wanted us to have you know an easy time, but because you passionately wanted us back. You passionately wanted us to be your people and to love you and to follow you and to belong to you. Um, everything we do is about that. Help us to remember this isn't a country club. Help us to remember that our job is to rescue the world and to glorify God, to glorify your son. In Jesus' name, amen.